Well, when I was growing up, my uh, parents had a minivan. I was born in the 80s, but I was a 90s kid, so the minivan that we had, it was an early 90s Chevy Lumina, and uh, we hated this thing. <laughs> we, uh, we made fun of it a lot, actually. We called it the Dust Buster, and uh, if you can remember... In the 90s, the Dust Busters, kind of a handheld vacuum. You can hang it on the wall. They may still make them. I, I don't know, but um, man, this thing looks like a Dust Buster. You could, you could almost just pick it up and take it down the road. Dual purpose. <laughs> but I was embarrassed of this thing. I didn't want my mom dropping me off at friends' houses and they, and they you know, see it. I didn't want to pick friends up. I'd rather ride in my dad's truck. You know, who wouldn't when you have the two, the two options? But uh, fast forward several years. And uh, when I met my wife in Bible college and then we got married, um, we both kind of decided we were never going to be van people, all right? <laughs> you, just, you just decide this, and we, we had made up our mind. Nothing was going to get us to, to be van people, all right? Uh, you know, soccer moms, and, you know, that's cool. That just wasn't us. And uh, we said, you know, if we have one kid, two kids, three, four, whatever, we want to have a big family. And, and that kind of decision is really easy when you have one kid, right? You can have a car, a sedan, you can have an SUV, uh, the car seat fits really well, um, that's perfectly fine. You, you jump to two kids and it's still manageable, right? You can still get the groceries, you can take a trip to your family's house or a weekend trip, whatever you want to do. Um, three kids gets a little challenging. Um, then you're faced with some real decisions, you know, how serious were we about not being van people? Are we going to ride this thing out? Are we going to see it through? Or are we going to cave? And uh, I remember we, we held on as long as we could. And then, and then baby number four came. And uh, it's like we, we either get, you know, a huge SUV, which we couldn't afford at the time, or we, we go find a van. 2014, we went and we, start, we looked at a van for the first time. And, and we were kind of hesitant it's kind of like embarrassing for us anyway. We're looking over our shoulder like, who's, who's watching? Who's, what other families are here from, from the church, you know? And uh, is this really happening? And then you open the door up and you look inside and you're like, wow, I forgot. Like all of this space, you're, you're, you're riding in luxury. It's amazing. And then, and then you sit in it and you start driving and it's like, what have I been missing all my life? I don't even care. And, uh, and so we caved. We got a van, and, uh, and, and we're, van, you know, we're van people. And we drove that van from 2014 until this year, and uh, we just got a new vehicle. And the only reason that we don't have a van is because we couldn't find any. Everyone's taking all the vans, you know? There's a lot of van people out there. How many of you are van people? All right, raise them proud. Represent. All right. It's good stuff. <laughs> well, we had a, a, a dramatic change from one way of thinking to another when it comes to a van. We had, we had what's called a, a paradigm shift. We were, you know, dug our heels in one way, and then we had a change of mind. That, that term paradigm shift was first used by a man by the name of Thomas Kuhn back in 1962. He wrote a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, and he, he used the term to describe a change in the basic assumption or paradigms within the ruling theory of science. Now, before I finish that sentence, some of you were already asleep. <laughs> that, the, a one-sentence explanation like this, I'll be honest with you, that hurts my head a little bit. <laughs> 
Well, since then, this term paradigm shift has found its way into other fields of study, including religion. And the modern definition for paradigm shift is just that. It's a change from one way of thinking to another. Now, that's a definition that I can understand. (laughs) Well, even though Mr. Kuhn coined the term, I would argue that the concept first appeared in the Apostle Paul's writings In the New Testament book of Romans almost 2,000 years ago. Listen to this. Romans 12 verse 2, writing to, to these believers, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And here it is, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So a change from one way of thinking to another. That sounds a whole lot like Romans 12 too, doesn't it? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By what? By changing the way that you think. You know, one of the most difficult challenges in our Christian walk is to live in the world, but not of the world. Let me say that again. One of the most difficult challenges in our Christian walk is to live in the world, but not of the world. We're to live in the world, but not become like the world. Instead of copying the behavior and the customs of the world, we're to allow God to transform us into new people, new creations. And this starts by changing the way that we think. It starts with our worldview. So instead of having a secular worldview, God wants us to have a biblical one, to see things, to see people, and to see circumstances as he sees them, to see them through the lens of his word. And as we grow in our faith, and our walk with Christ, this transformation or paradigm shift is the byproduct. As we grow to become more like Jesus, a drastic change in how we think and behave takes place because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we experience several paradigm shifts throughout the course of our Christian walk. A change from one way of thinking to another. Well, today we're kicking off a new series, and you may have guessed, it's called Paradigm Shift. When Jesus began his earthly ministry around the age of 30, and we read that he he taught with a kind of authority that the the people had never heard or seen. He, He spent much of his time with the kinds of people that others would typically write off, tax collectors and sinners. He healed the blind, the lame, the the sick, helping people understand that their greatest need was actually their spiritual need. He he met the physical need first, but it was to take them to a place where they could see that their greatest need was their spiritual need. And Jesus also challenged the religious establishment of his day. You know, the religious leaders, they were great at setting up obstacles to the kingdom of God. They promoted man-made rules and regulations instead of God's word as it's written. They focused on appearances over character. They neglected what was truly important to God. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus established three new spiritual entities to replace three man-made practices that had become worn out in the Jewish religion. He established a new Sabbath. He established a new way of looking at a person's identity and their their worth and a new way of understanding what it means to live a blessed life. Now, the religious leaders of his day, they missed the mark on all of these things, consequently leading God's people in the wrong direction. But through his own example and through his own teaching, 
Jesus caused a paradigm shift in how people understood these things, helping them have a clear view of what God's kingdom is really all about. So the first paradigm shift that we read about is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And I want to read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll go back and we'll unpack it together. Now, this passage contains two different stories that are actually connected by one overarching truth. I'm going to read both of them, but for the message today, we're just going to focus on the first story. So if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning as I read God's Word aloud. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And then here's the, the second story. Another, on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a little bit of context for what we just read. And then we're going to talk about some of the application. The sanctity of the Sabbath, um, the seventh day of the week, was a distinctive part of the Jewish faith during the first century. Um, God first gave his people the Sabbath law when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, all the way back in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And this is what we read about the Sabbath law. Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So we'll start by building the foundation here. What is the Sabbath? Well, that word Sabbath literally means rest. And it relates to how God ceased working after six days of creation. 
that many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they taught that the Messiah would not come until every person in Israel had perfectly kept the Sabbath. No mistakes. So to say they took this law seriously is an understatement. Now, the fourth commandment, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It doesn't provide us with a whole lot of detail. So in response, these religious leaders, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out what God meant by work. You know, have you ever been to a Bible study where you just hang on one word for like an hour and a half, and then you leave and you're like, did we even accomplish anything? You know, did we learn how to apply this to our lives at all today? It's kind of what they did. They, they hung on this word over and over and over again. What does this mean? You know, were, were they allowed to wash dishes? Were they allowed to cook meals? Were they allowed to break a sweat? Uh, for, for, were they allowed to lift heavy things, play games with their friends, feed their cattle? And for many decades before the birth of Jesus, the religious leaders debated back and forth about what constituted as work and what did not. Now, I would, I would argue that their motives were actually good. They just, they just wanted to be obedient to God's word. They wanted to be faithful to the law. But in their pursuit of trying to articulate and define this law, they adopted a very legalistic approach to faith. Legalistic people, they strive to live under the law, believing the lie that God's approval and his love are somehow dependent on right behavior. It's the belief that someone can be saved or remain saved based on their ability to keep a set of rules. I'll be honest, I think that kind of, that, that kind of thinking, that belief has infiltrated it into the church in some way. We think if we just work hard enough, if we just are a good enough person, then God will love me, God will accept me, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And because of their legalistic approach over time, they ended up, hear this, this is just blows my mind, they ended up classifying some 39 different types of work, rigidly holding people to their impossible standards. 39 different types of work. But as we see in these two stories, where the Pharisees were concerned with rules and regulations, Jesus was concerned with relationship. Today, I think many Christians confuse the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the week, uh, with the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week, and, and what each day signifies. Uh, the Sabbath is a reminder of God's finished work of creation, that he worked and created for six days and then ceased working on the seventh day. Uh, the Lord's Day is a reminder of Jesus' finished work on the cross and the new life that we have in Christ. The Sabbath encourages rest after work. It encourages rest after work and relates to the law that God gave to his people. While the Lord's Day commemorates the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and signifies the new life, again, that we have in Jesus. So the early church, how did they approach this? What, what did they do with this? Well, they were faithful to observe the Sabbath. They set aside one day each week for rest, but they were also faithful to gather together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, to hear the apostles' teaching, so to hear the word of God preached, to fellowship with one another, to break bread together, and to pray. And some of these early Christians, they had a tendency to view the Sabbath under the law, just like the Pharisees. You know, a rule that had to be followed to earn God's favor instead of viewing it as a gift, a wonderful gift that was given to them as a result of God's amazing love and His grace. 
In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul addressed this. He made it clear that observing special days or special holidays has nothing to do with God's favor or salvation. In other words, we are not saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus plus keeping the Sabbath. It's not what we're, how we're saved. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. Amen? So by their strict and oppressive rules, the religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a burden instead of the blessing that God meant for it to be. I think that's what a legalistic approach to faith does. It turns God's gifts into burdens instead of blessings. I think that's a great way to think of legalism. It turns God's gifts into burdens instead of blessings. Well, Jesus, when he came on the scene, he challenged both their doctrine and their authority on the issue. He had already announced a new year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor back in Luke chapter 4, and now he would establish a new way of thinking about the Sabbath. In the first story that we read, Jesus was walking with his disciples through some grain fields, and they were hungry. The Bible is very clear about that. They were, they were hungry. They were working hard. So they decided to stop and break off some of the heads of grain. They rubbed off the husks with their hands, and then they ate the grain. Now, just from an outsider looking in, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But like with anything that Jesus and his disciples did, the religious leaders, they weren't happy about this. They, they believed that they were breaking the Sabbath law because they were harvesting, they were winnowing, and they were preparing food. Apparently, this fell under their 39 classifications of work. <laughs> Always looking for a way to criticize some of the Pharisees, they asked Jesus why he had allowed his disciples to violate the Sabbath. I love his response. Can, can we learn from this today? Learn from Jesus' response? Remember, a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. Watch how Jesus responds. Instead of arguing with them, instead of questioning their definition of work, he took them to the Word of God. And he referenced 1 Samuel chapter 21, when he said these words, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. So a little backstory. We'll rewind a little bit. At this point in David's life, God had rejected Saul. He had anointed David as the next king over Israel. But Saul was not dead yet. And because of his jealousy, because of his envy towards David, David had to run for his life. He was, he was a man on the run. Well, David and his men, they left in such haste, they didn't have time to gather many of the things that they would need, including food. So what did they do? Well, they went to the tabernacle and they asked for bread. And when they got there, they ran into a major problem. You see, there was no common bread available, just bread that anyone could eat. The only bread that was left was the sacred loaves of bread, and these were reserved only for the priests. If they ate the sacred bread, they would be breaking the law. They would be breaking God's law. Well, Jesus pointed out that David did break the law by eating these, this bread. He didn't say that David was, was right in breaking the law. He actually says here, went into the house of God, he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. 
So what was the truth that Jesus was trying to get across here to the Pharisees? Was, was, he, was he saying that it's okay to break the law? Was he saying that, you know, instead of legalism, was he going to the other extreme and just saying that we can live uh, in license, you know, total neglect of God's word? It's not what he was saying at all. I think it's pretty clear. He was saying that God is more concerned about meeting human needs than he is about protecting religious rules. Let me say that again. That God is more concerned about meeting human needs than he is about protecting religious rules. See, he had given this law to his people, but he had done so to help them, not, not to hurt them. It was better that David and his men receive nourishment and strength from eating this bread, even if it was breaking the law, so that they could continue serving God. It was better that they do that than to starve, the death, to, starve to death for the sake of a temporary law. So I hope that, that makes a little bit of sense. God doesn't want to see his people starve and to see them hungry and to certainly see them die from this. Well, Jesus was also pointing out that God's heart for life, for justice, and and mercy should never be violated in our pursuit of keeping the law. If David was right to eat the sacred bread, even though it was unlawful, then Jesus and his disciples, they were right to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath, even if it was unlawful. And Jesus, I think the most important point to this, you know, why did Jesus do this? Well, he pointed out that he is Lord even over the Sabbath. That's the most important part of this. He's saying that the Son of Man, not the Pharisees, through their man-made rules and regulations, that the Son of Man ultimately rules over and interprets the Sabbath. So what does this story have to do with our lives today? You know, what's, what's the application? Well, when it comes to the Sabbath, our tendency as Christians who are living in the 21st century, our tendency is to lean towards either legalism or license. Again, legalism believes that God's approval, that his love are somehow dependent on our behavior and our work. So I know, I know Christians who you know, kind of rigidly keep the Sabbath. They don't grow because of it. They don't get anything out of it, but they do it because that's what God's word says. And if I don't, then you know, maybe I'll lose my salvation or, or whatever. You know, their doctrine gets really, really bad because of legalism. But, but the other side of that is license. And license dismisses God's commands altogether, believing that since we are a people under grace, that we can just live however we want, that we can just neglect God's law. We can neglect his commands. And both extremes are wrong, and they actually only lead to further bondage instead of freedom in Christ. So let's, let's unpack this today, because this is a topic that's not talked about very often. But friends, I think it's encouraging, and it's so good for our walk with Christ. When we talk about the importance of the Sabbath, we must learn to see it as God sees it. So that's our, that's our foundation. Number one, if you're taking notes today, we've got four points that we'll work through, and they'll, they'll go pretty quickly. We need to learn to see the Sabbath as a gift. All right, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift meant to help God's people. It's meant to help our minds, our bodies, and our spirit not hurt us or draw us towards legalism or license. Now, I believe that the reason the Sabbath has become so confusing to people today is twofold. It's twofold. Number one, uh, we like to go so much. We, we are busy all the time. And we're so busy that we forget that rest is just as important as hard work. We're just busy all the time. And then two, if the Sabbath is in fact a gift that God has given us, then friends, it's a gift that has largely remained unopened. 
I'm curious, and you can raise your hand for this. Throughout the course of a given week, how many of you say to yourself, I wish that I could just have a day off. I wish I could just have a day of rest, a day to do something that fills me up instead of something that empties my tank. How many of you, you've been there? And and those of you that didn't raise your hands, you're lying. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's okay, we're, we're working on you. We've all been there. We've all been there. And the good news is that God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows that you need rest because here it is. He created you with a need for rest. This isn't just a second tier issue. This is important. And knowing that you need rest, he decided in advance in his love, his grace, to carve out one day each week when you can take advantage of this amazing gift called the Sabbath, a time when you can be filled up so that you can be sent back out. It's a time to open the gift, friends, not leave it closed and on a shelf somewhere. Several years ago, I think it was when we were early on in ministry, my wife and I decided that we were going to open this gift and we were going to use it every week if we could. And we were running on fumes. We were just burnt out at both ends. We recognized that we needed to establish some guarded, uninterrupted time in our week, some time where we could engage in things that fill us up. Otherwise, we were going to burn out completely. Otherwise, we were going to have to focus on doing something different with our lives. So for us, it's one day a week. It's Friday because that's the way that my schedule falls. And and again, the, the legalists would say, no, you need to do this on Saturday. Be careful, friends. Be careful that you don't start going down that road. Because the, the point of this wasn't the specific day. The point was what it what it achieves. And for us, we we get done with our work week on Friday and then we rest and then it starts back up on Sunday. And so we, we picked Friday. This is when we spend time together as a family. It's guarded time. It's when we go out to eat together if we can. Faith likes to read a book, watch a movie together. That's more my thing. We spend time with other families in the church, and we just rest. We just rest. Now, we neglect this from time to time. I'll be honest with you. We don't keep it perfectly. And when we do neglect it, it affects everything. It affects our work. It affects our relationships with each other, with other people, and with God. So this is something that we have to be intentional about. This, the Sabbath is a gift. And this leads us to our second point, which is we must remember the Sabbath. We must remember the Sabbath. Remember Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So this is something that we have to be intentional about. I have a bad memory. <laughs> you know, my wife asked me to do something, and, and just a few minutes later, she's like, so what do you, what do you think about that? Are we going to do that this weekend? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, you didn't hear me, did you? Well, I, maybe I did, but I, I think it's more likely that I forgot, <laughs> you know, over the course of, you know, 120 seconds or so. But <laughs> men, we're all in the same sinking ship. <laughs> we need a lot of grace in this area. We need to remember the Sabbath. We're, we're intentional about setting aside one day each week for a specific purpose. What, what is that purpose? Well, we remember why God instituted it in the first place. It's to help his people, not hurt them. 
We also remember that the Sabbath is what leads us to Sunday. And I love this truth. Think, think about it this way. The Sabbath is what leads us to Sunday, the Lord's Day. It leads us to celebration. It leads us to fellowship and to serving alongside other believers. Uh, one of our elders, Joe Lidvina, he likes to say uh, that preparing for Sunday starts on Saturday. Preparing for Sunday starts on Saturday. Now, you could argue that it really starts before that, but I think that's part of what it means to, to have a Sabbath mindset. That's part of what it means to remember the Sabbath. So setting aside one day each week for rest, it allows us to prepare our hearts for gathering with our church family. It prepares us to, to partake in two important memorials each week. One, uh, communion, remembering Christ's death, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And two, the resurrection, remembering Christ's victory over sin, Satan, and death. The victory that allows us to have new life in Christ. We celebrate these historical events every Sunday when we gather as a church family. So preparing for Sunday starts on Saturday. And I think that's, um, there, there's a spiritual component to that, but I think physically as well. You know, do, do you prepare for Sunday on Saturday, you know, families with kids, are you laying out your clothes? Are you getting your mind in the right place? Are you deciding we're, we're going to wake up at this time, we're going to be ready, we're going to show up, and, and we're going to joyfully worship together, joyfully fellowship with our church family? Like, is there some kind of preparation that takes place? If not, let me encourage you to do so. That's so important. The Sabbath is a gift. We also need to remember the Sabbath. And then third, if you're taking notes, the Sabbath provides an opportunity for rest. You know, what, what is that exactly? What is rest? It's, it's important to God, so I think it should be important to us, but we need to understand what this is. So it's more of a rhetorical question, but think about this. When you hear the word rest, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? I, I think for many, the idea of rest brings to mind just being a couch potato, <laughs> But that's not what God had in mind for the Sabbath. There may be a small component of that, but that's not what he had in mind. That's not the example that Jesus gives us anyway. In one of his sermons on Luke chapter 6, Pastor Alistair Begg, he said that Sabbath rest was never meant to be rest that leads to idleness or indulgence, but relaxation combined with consecration. Let me unpack that a little bit. So idleness or laziness, that, that was never God's plan. He doesn't tell us to, you know, not be lazy six days of the week and he say, okay, you can just be idle and lazy this one other day. That's not what he's saying. You know, my wife likes to say uh, this, this saying, and it didn't originate with her. I think it's part of Newton's first law of motion, but she says that a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest. And the kind of rest that she's talking about is the idle kind of rest. It's not fulfilling rest. It's, it's lazy kind of rest. Indulgence, that, that Alistair Begg mentions, that, that's trying to satisfy selfish desires. That's what indulgence is. And instead of considering the needs of others above our own, it's looking to our own interests first. And so when we take advantage of this rest, this Sabbath, we look only to our own interests, but that's not what God is telling us to do. True Sabbath rest never leads to idleness or indulgence. Instead, it leads to relaxation combined with consecration. Consecration is just deciding that this is something that will be set apart for a purpose, that you're going to be intentional about this, that it's important to God, so it should be important to us. And at this point, maybe you're thinking, man, I'm still confused about this. I don't really know how to apply this. Well, how these things are lived out in your life 
and in your home, friends, that's something that you're going to have to talk about with your family. It's something you're going to have to work out together. I can't just give you the answer on this. As Alistair Begg says, you are sensible people and you can figure it out. (laughs) So instead of idleness or indulgence, Sabbath rest is meant to be a time when you do things that fill you up and glorify God. It's when you first and foremost find rest in the Lord. Outside of a genuine relationship with Jesus, I would argue that there's no true rest for the soul. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way, that there is no vacation, there's no experience, there's no dream home that you're saving up for, no thing outside of God that can bring rest in the essence of who you are. Your soul will be restless until it finds rest in Him. So true rest starts by finding rest in the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Do you walk with Him? Do you live for Him? That leads us to the fourth point, and that is that the Sabbath leads us to worship. So I hope that you've seen by now that the goal of the Sabbath really isn't us. First and foremost, the goal of the Sabbath is God. It's about... It's not about escaping from the problems of the world or isolating yourself from difficult people or circumstances. That's not the point of the Sabbath. The goal of the Sabbath is God. It's about drawing closer to God, finding ways to be used by Him, and being in the company of other people who also love Him. Sabbath rest is an opportunity to get to know God more deeply, to serve Him faithfully, to worship Him sincerely. That's the example that we have in Jesus. Romans 12 verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. So I know you already know this, but I think it's worth repeating that worship doesn't just happen on Sundays. Worship doesn't just happen on Sundays. Worship is is meant to be a lifestyle. And I've found personally that I'm more closely connected to God, not when I'm busy going 100 miles an hour, you know, doing things for God, but when I'm quiet and still before Him. And that's one reason that the Sabbath leads us to worship. All right, when we experience that rest, that stillness before God, it leads us to worship because the true way to worship is living a holy life, a life set apart for God, being a kingdom worker for Him. Jesus, He was looking for opportunities to bless other people, looking for opportunities to advance God's kingdom, to grow the kingdom. And that's why the religious leaders were so uptight about this. Because they're like, you're not supposed to wash dishes, you're not supposed to lift heavy things, you're not supposed to do these things. Well, is the Sabbath a day for doing evil, friends, or is it a day for doing good? It's a day for doing good. So what are we supposed to do with a message like this? It's kind of a different kind of message. I just want to start with a charge and a command from God's word, and that is remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath. Don't remember to do this from the standpoint of legalism. Right? It's not about coming up with a bunch of man-made rules and sticking to that. Or don't neglect it in the name of license either. Do it because it's a wonderful gift that God has given you and because He knows exactly what you need and the portion that you need it. Also, think about the Sabbath in this way. 
Think about it in terms of how can I open this gift? How can I remember it? How can I find rest in this? How can this lead me to worship? But how can I use this to make Jesus famous? Again, it's not one day a week that we just isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. In a lot of ways, it's just doing the things that fill us up so that we can be sent back out. So in your rest, look for ways to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God, as Micah 6.8 says. Remember that the Sabbath was meant for help, not for hurt. Trust God with this and rely on Him to help you as you seek to live faithfully for Him.